All right, good evening, uh, everyone. It's, uh, we are Erev de Erev, what we call um, the eve of the eve of uh, Rosh Hashanah. And uh, it puts us in a position where, you know, I'm really looking at this and how, how exactly we're going to make this Yontif uh, a meaningful Yontif. Now, this was a question that um, we asked around, if you recall, this is how we asked the question around, um, hello, Hill. So, um, hello, Hill. So um, we asked this question around Pesach time. When Pesach started, we said, how are we going to make Pesach meaningful? Then we got to Shavuot, and we said, how are we going to make Shavuot meaningful? Each of those times, hoping that by the time we get to Rosh Hashanah, we wouldn't have to worry about these problems. Well, we're worrying about them, and uh, lo and behold, other parts of the world, uh, Israel, for one, is not going to have services this Rosh Hashanah, at least not going to have legal services this Rosh Hashanah. Yudah is... Uh, has been uh, going to be in quarantine, not quarantine, but uh, schools closed today or tomorrow. So they're already heading out and it's going to be a very difficult time in Israel and in Melbourne and the like. So I think we are relatively privileged um, here in Sydney that you're going to be able to have some forms of services that I think everyone who wants to come to Shul gets to come to Shul. Um, I suppose from a rabbinic point of view, it's a little bit sad that um, there aren't more people who want to come to Shul, but understanding it's a very difficult time of year for people and people are very nervous so it is what it is but um i was asked to give a class this morning to um to school kids in melbourne that was on the question is how do you make rosh hashanah meaningful uh, this year and uh, the answer that i gave to them was uh, it's going to be similar to what i'm going to suggest with you now but let's let's start off by asking the premise of the question so when people say that, uh, you know, how do we make Rosh Hashanah meaningful this year? The assumption is that Rosh Hashanah is meaningful in every other year. And this year, because, the, uh, because of the restrictions, Rosh Hashanah, is, um, Rosh Hashanah is going to be tougher. So, you know, and, and I'm not so sure that that assumption is correct. That every year Rosh Hashanah is a very meaningful experience. And that this year it's going to be tainted by the fact that we can't do things the way we normally do it. There's no question that we can't do things the way in the normal way. But the question is, is, does, is that going to diminish from the experience? So then we have to ask a separate question, which is what is the experience supposed to be? As opposed to what is the experience that we are feeling we're going to be missing out on? Because most of us, when you think about what is the experience, what is that of Rosh Hashanah, which, um, we, which we find so special... Um, so often it has much more to do with the, um, I, I don't mean this in a pejorative sense, but the superficialities of the Chag rather than the, the, the depth of the Chag. So, <coughs> so for example, when I, so I spoke to uh, these, these students today, so I said, What's, what are you going to miss? So they say, oh, I'm going to miss Shofar. I'm going to miss having all the family around. I'm going to miss going to Shul. So I said, okay, those, you know, those are nice. Those are, those are good, but the question is, well, what happens when you go to shul? Like you hear shofar, so we're like, what's the chap of shofar? So for many people, the shofar is sort of one of those things that you do. It's a mitzvah, you go to hear the shofar, you hear the shofar blown, and uh, ah, fulfill the mitzvah and off you go. But that is what you will call, and let's use very halachic terminology. You have something called a, a, a maisa mitzvah, a chiyuv mitzvah, which is the obligation of the mitzvah. And then you have something called a kiuma mitzvah. Kiyum means the fulfillment of the mitzvah. Now, often the chiyuv, the obligation to do the mitzvah, and the kiyum, the fulfillment of the mitzvah, are exactly the same. Often they are exactly the same. 
But often they're not. Often they're very different. So for example, what is the chiyuv of saying Shema? So the chiyuv is that the obligation of Shema <coughs> is to recite the words that become what we call the Shema. The Shema is Hashem HaKam and the first chapter, maybe the second and third, but you know, that is how you, fulf- that is how you fulfill the, the chiyuv, the obligation of it. But then there's the kiyum. Now what is the kiyum? The kiyum is, what am I supposed to experience by saying Shema? And that is that you're supposed to acknowledge it's not a prayer. We're not asking Hashem for anything when we say Shema. We are making a declaration of our commitment to Hashem and our commitment to being Jewish. That's what Shema is. So if you say, if you say Shema while thinking about what you're going to eat for dinner, so you fulfilled the chiyuv of the mitzvah, the obligation, you've done what you needed to do, but you haven't felt what you needed to feel. So this goes with a lot of different mitzvahs, but shofar is a perfect example. So the obligation of the mitzvah is to hear the, the tikiyot, tikiyot, however many blasts you have to hear. So the, the, the obligation is to make sure you hear. <coughs> What's the kiyuma mitzvah? What's the fulfillment? So the fulfillment of the mitzvah, according to the Rambam, is that it somehow resonates within the deep recesses of your soul and is supposed to wake you up. It's supposed to say, listen, the, it's Yom Adin, it's a time of change, it's a time of judgment, and it's time that you really got to take serious stock and realize that Hashem is Melech HaKola Aretz, Hashem is the king of the world, and we got to take seriously, like, who are we and who is Hashem, and be able to put into perspective that Hashem is not our, our friend. Hashem is Avinu Malkainu, He's our father but our king. And that is what is supposed to resonate. It's supposed to resonate a certain level of awe, of fear, of, of trembling. That's when we say the shofar gado yitaka, that the, when the great shofar blasts and, and, and it's supposed to, the, the, the malachi, that those angels, they shudder and shake, that this is hine yomadin, this is all in the Tanetokif prayer, that we shudder in. So, I don't, I don't remember the last time I shuddered when I heard the shofar. You hear the shofar, it's, you know, four tens in purposes. It could be some, like this year, I'm going to have to blow the shofar. I'm going to be um, standing out the door, out into the car park. So no one's going to see me. So it's literally just going to hear the noise. You know, David Glazer will say tikiya, and then you'll hear a tikiya coming from the heavens, from all you know. So four tens in purpose, I might be playing a trumpet. No one knows what I'm going to I might be playing a recording. So I'd like, no one really has that experience of it. And, and so when this year we say, well, <coughs> for those of us who can't come to shul or those who are not going to have that experience, so how do we have Rosh Hashanah? This is what, how do you normally have Rosh Hashanah? So if the things that you have normally Rosh Hashanah are the superficial elements. You, you have the chiyuv of mitzvahs. You, you dip your apple in honey and you hear the shofar and you, you have the round challah and you say, you do all the things you're supposed to do, but the experience, you don't have the experiences so then you're really not missing out on anything this year because you're not going to have the experiences this year. Some of you won't have the obli- some of the things you won't be able to do this year like you normally would, but some you're not even going to have the experiences because one never has those experiences. So what a year like this sort of does is it forces us into a position where we really have to take stock and say, well, what exactly is Rosh Hashanah supposed to feel like? Because the Rosh Hashanah experience is one that the, the external trappings of the shul service is supposed to um, 
enhance the experience, the music of Rosh Hashanah is supposed to enhance the day, not be the day. So, for example, um, when you watch a movie and they've got this background music, so you know it's a scary scene because the music starts getting scary and it sets the mood for what's going to happen. Now, if there was no music you or it was the wrong kind of music, you wouldn't have that experience. So that's how we sort of, what the music of Rosh Hashanah is supposed to be, is that it's a scary time. You are walking through the, the door, the alley, you know, walking through the passage, and we are opening the door, wondering what's behind the door. And the music is supposed to be building up the anticipation. We know that it is scary, and the music is supposed to be enhancing that. And that's what's supposed to be happening, but it doesn't normally happen. And this is the year where we get an opportunity to question, hold on a second, why in every other year are these things not happening at all? So let me uh, share an idea <coughs> of uh, something. If you are going to be in shul, there's a good chance you might hear this again at one of my sermons. So my apologies in advance for the repeti- the pre- I'm going to have repetition and pre-repetition, but uh, something that you might hear. So in... Uh, if, one of one of the um, most frustrating fri- frustrating parts for many of us over this COVID period has been, you know, the, the, not so much the medical uncertainty because many of us, thank God, are, are well, but it's been the pragmatic uncertainty that we we have plans. So people with businesses or practices or services, so you make the plans. And you say, all right, the current restrictions are this, so this is the plan. And then you get closer to that, now all of a sudden the plans change. So, for example, Shavuot, Shavuot, the shul was going to be open, we were going to have, uh, I mean, recall, no, the shul wasn't going to be open, but we're going to have Tikkun Leo programs. We're going to be bouncing around different houses, and we're going to um, have Tikkun Leo programs. And literally on Erev Shavuot, and we had put together this phenomenal program, Erev Shavuot. We had to cancel it. There was a bit of an outbreak. We had to cancel it. Um, dealing with the families trying to have bar mitzvahs during this time. So they called me up, Rabbi, how many people can I have at my bar mitzvahs? So I said, like, at the moment you can have 50. So I said, well, my bar mitzvah is in a, a month, two months time, three months time. So I said, I, 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 can't, I don't know what to tell you. So I said, well, can I prepare for 100? So I said, we can prepare for 100, but it's very possible that, you know, on the eve of your bar mitzvah, everything could go into shutdown and you won't have the bar mitzvah. So how do you teach a bar mitzvah boy when you, when you don't even know if he's going to be able to have a bar mitzvah? We, we had kids like this, kids who had you know, started preparing for the bar mitzvah and then realized that the family overseas is not going to be able to come or that we weren't even going to be able to have the day itself. It's incredibly uncertain. And what we miss is this concept of being batuach. Um, batuach in Hebrew uh, means to, be, to, be, to have certainty. Ani batuach or betach. You know, which means certainty or definitely. And we want this concept of, uh, of having to be batuach, <coughs> that we're certain on uh, what's going to happen, that we can have a predictability about life, that we can prepare for it. And, and, and that's how we want to live our life. And we do everything we can to make life as certain as possible. I mean, the whole idea of insurance is realizing the fact that life can at times be uncertain and we, we want insurance to make it as less uncertain as possible so i have uh, income protection insurance so what is that that if i can't work my lifestyle doesn't have to change i can have a certain level of certainty now interesting what what's the word for insurance in hebrew bituach 
You know, it's like, so, batuach means to be certain or to be confident. And bituach is insurance. The exact same word, just a different conjugation because it is supposed to give you assurance, to give you, uh, to give you confidence. Within Judaism, there's a, a, a concept which is based on the same root of as batuach and bituach, and it's called bitachon. And bitachon, um, so bitachon can mean a number of things in modern Hebrew. It can mean security. You know, is there any bitachon in the whatever? That's security. But in a philosophical sense, bitachon means trust in Hashem. Um, it's somewhat different to emuna, which is faith in Hashem. Faith is that Hashem. No, faith is in Hashem. Bitachon is faith that Hashem. Okay, so emuna is I have emuna in Hashem, but I have bitachon that Hashem, that Hashem runs the world, that Hashem um, is is the driver behind the um, behind this, you know, is the driver behind behind the wheel of this uh, vehicle called called the will. So bitachon is something that we talk about consistently within the Yeshiva. You've got to have bitachon, you've got to have bitachon, which is often understood, you've got to have trust in Hashem. You've got to trust in offense, you've got to have faith in Hashem, you've got to believe in Hashem. So, <clears throat> there are two different ways of understanding what trust in Hashem was. So, one way was understood by uh, some of the, uh, the, the, the older Middle, Middle Ages uh, philosophers. They said that bitachon is, if you trust in Hashem, everything will be okay. You have complete trust in Hashem, Everything will be okay. And if everything doesn't go okay, it's because you didn't have enough trust. You didn't have enough bitachon. So, uh, famous story I once heard is, is that uh, a rabbi of the particular, I think it was uh, Rabbi Ariel Levine, if I'm not mistaken, and he, he, gave, um, he gave this idea of bitachon. If you trust in Hashem, um, everything will go okay. So, a guy came to him and said, Rabbi, are you trying to tell me that if I buy a lottery ticket and I have bitachon, I have complete trust that I will win the lotto, then, uh, then I'll win the lotto? So the Rebbe said, yes, you will. So the guy was very excited. So he went and bought himself a lottery ticket and went to the Rebbe and said, okay, uh, I've got my car. I'm going to have emunah. I'm going to bitachon. I'm going to trust in Hashem. I'm going to win this. And uh, now I'm never going to have to work again. I'm going to win this. So, so the Rebbe said to him, how much, how much is the lottery? So uh, just arbitrary says, it's a million dollars. So the Rebbe says, I'll buy the ticket from you now for $900,000. Will you sell it to me? I think I said, sure, I'll sell it to you. Absolutely. He says, then you don't have bitachon. If you have bitachon, why would you sell a million dollars for 900000 You're only prepared to sell it because you're not 100% certain that you're going to win. And so you'd rather have a 900000 now than the, the possibility of a million. He says, that's what bitachon is. And so if you have complete bitachon, everything will turn out the way you want it. That was an old school traditional way of understanding this concept of trust in Hashem. The Chazanish in the 20th century, and this is now we're talking post-Holocaust. So he's really, you know, so I didn't understand trust in Hashem. Did the people in the, in the Holocaust not have trust in Hashem? Is that how we're going to justify, you know, that all these bad things that have happened to the people happened as a result of not enough bitachon? So he said, now, bitachon does not mean that if I trust enough, everything will go okay. He says, that's not what bitachon means. Bitachon means, I have complete trust that Hashem is running the world. And even though the world looks like a very uncertain place and something that we are very insecure about, I have complete bitachon that there is a master plan behind this and there's a master behind it. And that is the concept of bitachon. And 
what happens is that we try to live our lives with, to be batuach, to be certain, to be confident, to be sure, to be prepared, to know what's coming tomorrow. That's what we want. And what reality is, is we so because of that, we don't have bitachon. We don't trust in Hashem to say we don't believe that Hashem's driving the world because we are consistently trying to manipulate our lives in such a way that we can have certainty. But what this will this year has shown us is there is no such certainty. Every year has just been a complete facade. Every year has been completely false. Every year we think we're in control. We think we can have confidence. We think we can have we can be completely batuach that we just prepare if you do all the right things then uh, things will be okay. And this year, nothing. I, I'm like looking today. We've got Rosh Hashanah two days away and it is possible that there won't be Rosh Hashanah services. I mean, if if I come down with Corona, shouldn't come down, but if I come down with Corona, it means that everybody I've been in contact with of, of every minion for the last two weeks has to go and be tested. I mean, it's, 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 it has the potential to shut down the whole service. <laughs> there is nothing guaranteed. We prepared today hoping that based on information we have at our fingertips at the moment, we make the most informed decision we can. But we have lost certainty. We are completely unsure of ourselves. And that is a message you should take with us all the time, is that we are never certain. We always think we're certain. We always think we can prepare. We always think we can uh, um, plan for the future in such a way that, um, that everything can be certain. But the reality is, is that it cannot. And that is such a difficult pill to swallow. And that's, how, that's I think, the, the key takeaway from Rosh Hashanah this year. Is to somehow look at this day, or these two days, not why they're not like they're supposed to be, but rather that exactly what they're supposed to be. We are feeling a sense of trepidation in this generation over the last six months that most of us have probably never felt because we honestly don't know. For those of us who have family overseas, so I look at Tamar. Tamar, she hasn't seen her parents in a year and she has no idea when she's going to see them again. She's elderly grandmother, doesn't know when, if she's going to see, you know, when she's going to see her again. Please God, she'll see her in the next year. Yuda is now in Israel. I have no idea when I'm going to see my son again. And I, I, there are lots of parents out there who are in the same situation. We have no idea. This year, there is so much on the line. And, and this is just, relatively speaking, a very mild... No, it's not a mild. That's not, that's not true. This is, this is a, a, a pandemic that we do not see in our face. We hear about it. We hear it's happening all over the place. But definitely here in Sydney, even when we were in lockdown, most of us didn't know people directly affected or not many people. It's not like the smallpox or, uh, you know, the black plague or uh, cholera where it's like it was literally we saw people dying in the streets. Yeah, we just hear about it. And that has created the, the, the economy has gone down the drain. The international travel companies, big companies are going machula overnight. And, and, and that's the, the reality that we should be living with all the time, especially at Rosh Hashanah. So it is a time, it is, what are these causes? These are the Yamim Noraim. These are the days of awe. And, and that is the sort of experience that we should be looking for, an experience of being in awe 
of uh, of how Hashem runs the world, and that we are just you know, uh, if I tell you the amount of times that I've heard the Yiddish phrase a mensch tracht und Gott lacht that uh, a man plans but God has uh, and God laughs at the plans. So I think just by way like of of looking at it, I think that this Rosh Hashanah gives us an, a unique and incredible opportunity to um, to to lift ourselves out of the of the apathy that so often accompanies our festive experiences. I cannot. I, I have not met one person um, this year from our community who hasn't told me that this last Pesach was the most meaningful Pesach they've ever had. Literally every single family I've spoken to. Because I said, you know, normally we worried about the numbers and the catering and the like and how do we time the Seder and the like. But this year we only had a couple of people have just my immediate family or just myself or just me and my spouse or whatever the case might be. And it forced us to be able to look at that. We forced us to have a discussion about the Seder in a way that we've never had it before. So much so that like I, I really hope people next year that please God, we should be all well and good and should be open, the whole country's open up again. But we have the opportunity to just spend one, at least one of the nights of the Seder, just say, you know what, that's, that's what Seder is all about. It's about asking questions, about connecting to people. And there's no reason that Rosh Hashanah shouldn't, shouldn't be that way. Okay, so, so that's uh, one element of uh, Rosh Hashanah, that how do we make Rosh Hashanah meaningful, is um, we stop. You know, we stop tomorrow night, every Saturday morning, so we can, uh, we sleep in, we get up at six, which is a bit of a sleeping in the Krebs household, and <coughs> we go down, that's just not true, we get up at half past five, we go down and the birds are, birds are chirping outside, and we get our coffee, and we have two, three hours, um, where we just sit and talk, neither of us have phones, you know, the kids are, the kids are still sleeping. And it's just this unbelievable time of connection that we, we don't have at other times. And Yom Kippur and Rosh Hashanah this year is really an opportunity to connect. It's to disconnect from the world and to reconnect to yourself, reconnect to the people you care about and to have that, um, and have that day. So let's, let's talk a little bit about what we can do. So those are the things that we can't do, but what, what can we do? So I put a picture behind me of a pomegranate, which is one of the many uh, foods. So my mom asked me today, she says, um, you know, we, when we come to you for Rosh Hashanah, we eat all those different foods. You know, there's apple and honey, and then you eat all those other foods. So I say, yeah. She says, is that a Sephardi thing? Because I was speaking to my friends, and they'd never heard of it before. So I said, no, it's not a, it's not a Sephardi thing. She says, because, well, why, why did we never do that in South Africa? So... Um, the usual reason for not doing things is because you, you know, you're just not aware of it. So if you have an art scroll, you probably see, yeah. Whoa. Ah, there we go. So this is something that says, uh, I've got my problem here. I'll switch off my little camera so that you can actually see what I'm saying. Uh. All right, let's try that again. Okay, so you see here it says significant omens. So what is a significant omen? So, so on Leo Rosh Hashanah, there's a custom to eat lots of different foods that are there for the purpose of uh, having a good omen. Now, what is an omen? So we've spoken a little bit about this in the philosophy issue that there's uh, the concept of, 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 
of black magic and, and, and tying into the occult and the spiritual world beyond that. But over here it's talking about there's a, um, a concept of eating different foods and making various declarations after them um, that have some uh, punny significance. I mean, I, I, I don't know if that's a word, but that is usually a play on words. So the only one that's not that is an apple dipped in honey. So it says here, you know, the customs eat an apple dipped in honey. And then we should say, should be your will, God of our God and God of our forefathers. That you should have, that we should, you should renew for us a good and sweet year. Oh yeah, not sure why apples dipped in honey should do that, but apples. The reality is, is apples have no more significance other than the fact that they were the fruit that was available in the time. And honey, because it was the only thing that sweetened. There was no refined sugar back in those days. So apples and honey was the sweet and sweet. But like, what's the whole idea? So if you go into the other ones, so you eat carrots and you eat leek and beets and dates and gourd and pomegranates and fish and the like. So each of these have a hiratson associated with it. So um, so a leek is a, called a karti. And so it says, so yikartu. So you should cut off our enemies. And yistalku, uh, selek is beetroot. So yistalku, you should, re- you should remove uh, all our enemies. I had a friend you know, from, from who sent me a, a 21st century uh, version of this. So you should have a bagel. We bagel God to have mercy on parents and kids at home. Okay, Instead of beg, it's bagel. Um, what other ones is or oh, I don't know falafel. May the gov government stop falafeling us. Stop falafeling us. Okay, that all sounds silly. Silly. There was one that said that you should have a raisin with celery, and you should say that God should give us a raisin celery. Now those sound ridiculous, but in essence, that's exactly what we're doing. You're taking a pun of a word that is a food, and you sort of switching the meaning. So what's the whole chap behind it? So, uh, there are two two rationales that um, that I've that I've heard. One was the fact that we don't daven for anything we need on Rosh Hashanah, and the reason we don't daven is because it's too late to daven. Um, this is uh, you know it isn't that there's the court case happening. The court case happens throughout the month of Elul. On Rosh Hashanah itself is um, is the day of judgment. That's how we talk. It's Yom Adin, and as the day of judgment. You sort of just, you know, you're waiting for the judge to come forward and give his verdict. At that point in time, saying, I'm so sorry, or, you know, you don't understand, it was a very, it's too late. So all you can do is grab onto to any, anything that gives you some level of hope. So, you know, when we were exams, you used to take good luck charms or whatever the case might be. So if you need a good luck charm to get through an exam, chances are you didn't study enough. But that's exactly what it is. It's when you're desperate, you take on to anything. It's the same as the concept is there are no atheists in a foxhole. So we, we have the, we, we're desperate. We realize the stakes. So we'll eat apples dipped in honey and we'll, we'll eat beetroots, etc., etc. We'll do whatever we can do. So that's one idea. It's just out of a sense of desperation that Hashem shows our intent, our desire for another year. But the other reason I heard, which uh, is actually I thought was quite profound, and that was the fact that the goal is not the eating. It's not about eating pomegranates or dates or, or apples dipped in honey. It's about davening to Hashem. 
And the whole idea is to ask Hashem and say, Hashem, you know, please give us opportunity. Please give us life. So why does, what's it got to do with eating? Why don't we just say, Hashem, you know, the same as we say, that we say consistently. So what, what's the idea of uh, eating? So this is based on, on a certain element of prophecy. We see through, um, throughout the Tanakh that whenever a prophecy is associated with an act, the efficacy of the prophecy is much more profound. So we see with, uh, when, let's say, when the sea split. So God didn't say, all right, the sea is going to split and the sea split. Or when Moshe is going to bring water from the rock. Or he's going to bring the plagues on Mitzrayim. There was never, it never came about that Hashem said, all right, the plague is going to happen. It was always Moshe, put your hands out and the sea will split. Or strike the ground and the, and the lice will come out. Or um, which, whichever the case, whichever miracle it was, there was a certain human element that was associated with it. And so our rabbis tell us that when a human puts in some level of effort, the prophecy is far more potent. So what we do is that the, the, the goal here is that this prayer that we say should be a prophecy. That Hashem should give us, renew us. That should not be a prayer, it should be a prophecy. And then in order to give it more, uh, more, more potency is we don't just say it, we do a deed with it. It has an act associated with it. Yes, it's a, a trivial act. And it is not of enormous significance, but we are eating something. It is by somehow tying it into an act that we are really doubling to Hashem that this should turn into a prophecy. That it should be the will of Hashem. son should be the will of Hashem. That this is what happened. We're not saying, please give me. We say, it should be your will, Hashem, that this should happen. So it's a very different, different kind of uh, prayer. You know, m- most of the time when we ask something, we say, Hashem, please can you give me. Please can you give me panasa, please can you give me health, please can you give me whatever it is that I want. Here we say in Hashem, we want it to be your will that these things will happen. Ultimately, when we dive into Hashem, we can dive in one of two ways. Either trying to, you're trying to force our will on Hashem or um, rearranging our philosophical um, way of looking at it that we are trying to... <coughs> conform our will to the will of Hashem. So not trying to confirm, not trying to change God, but to change ourselves to conform with God. And we want that our will, you know, that we say, it should be, may it be your will, Hashem, that this will happen. We hope that it is. And then we're hoping that this becomes a prophecy. If it's not, it's not. But that's what we're hoping. So each of those simanim that we eat, um, has an enormous potency, not because, not only because, it's, these are not like chutzkas. The idea, the, the Gemara comes, I remember when, um, when Tamar was pregnant with Yehuda, there's a custom in the, towards the end of the pregnancy, in certain circles that the, uh, the husband will go to shore and he will open the ark. And it should be a, an omen that the woman should have an easy pregnancy. So I am not the superstitious type. So I said to Tamar, I'm, I'm not opening the ark. She says, you have to open the ark. It will give me an easy pregnancy. And then there's also a custom that women bake challah before they give birth. So that should be, you know, everything should be well. And I was just, this is all superstitious nonsense. She said, go speak to your rabbi. So I went to my Rosh Kolel, the head of my yeshiva. And I said to him, listen, my wife wants me to open the ark. And she wants me to do all these things. And I said, it's just superstitious nonsense. 
what do you think? And he said to me, the Gemara says, Simanim Miltahi. That these, these things, that there's something to them. They're not rubbish. There's something to them. Do not, you know, you know if, you, if you go to, uh, you know, you're not going to go for medical follow-up and all you're going to do is uh, get you to open the ark, so then it's irresponsible. But if you're doing all the medical proper things, what does it hurt you to go open the ark? So, yeah, it doesn't hurt. So when you're davening hard and you're trying to be a mensch and you're trying to do the right things and, you, and you're really working your butt well, so, so eating apple dipped in honey, it's, it's something meaningful. And it can be meaningful. It's not just eating food. They're having pomegranates and saying, you know, we want our, our merits to be as numerous as a pomegranate. And we want, you know, bad things to leave the world. And those fruits. That we should, um, should be like the head and not like the tail. That the Jewish people should be role models and, uh, and, and, and examples to the world of how a holy nation is supposed to live. Each of these are great opportunities as we make our blessings. So we can use them as the opportunities and grow through them and allow all the things that we can do to become a lot more meaningful. Um, I hope everyone got their uh, Rosh Hashanah packs. If I'm sure if you didn't get one, please let me know. I'm sure we can find a way of getting it to you. But, you know, in one of those things, I've got some discussion cards for the, um, for the table. But it's, it's a great opportunity to... You know, we don't have the crowds like we normally have. But it means we can have the conversations that we don't normally have. And, you know, how how would, you know, this is my, I'm giving a pre-Rosh Hashanah sermon tomorrow night, for, uh, which will be a unique sermon, unlike the ones uh, in the day. And it's a question that um, I've been asking myself, and that is, if I knew not last year what Rosh Hashanah would look like this year, how might I daven differently? And I think that's a question that we can all ask. So we all expect that next Rosh Hashanah will be better than this Rosh Hashanah. But how are we going to daven this year? And how's our Rosh Hashanah experience going to be in such a way that, you know, to, to quote my, uh, my rugby coach at school, before we used to run on the field, he used to come and say, Gents, Mr. Harvey, he used to come to us and say, Gents, no regrets. And... Uh, uh, it is it is a certain element of my life that I've tried to carry through with me. Is that this Rosh Hashanah no regrets? That we go and we dive in our best, and if the world, the, the earth, and the, and everything around does not turn out as we had hoped it would, we say we did our best. Hashem is in control, and this is Hashem's world, and we know we can't be certain because there is never been certainty, and the uncertainty and learning to live in comfort with discomfort. Living, learning to be comfortable with the uncertainty is ultimately the role of the Jew in the world, is to understand that Hashem runs the world and all we can do is learn to roll with the punches as they come and to do our best, but to acknowledge that Hashem is Melech Kola Aretz, as we will say in the bracha, and uh, to come to recognize that Hashem is king of the king of the world and that it is His world to run. So wish you all a Shana Tova, Gemachatima Tova. Hope that gave you a little bit of insight. Felt like it might have been a little bit a little bit depressing. I'm sorry if it was. He was a bit it was a bit uh, let me uh, give you opportunity to unmute yourselves. Hold on a sec. Yes, you can. You can unmute yourself. There you go. 
it was really good for me. I'm, I'm so excited that I actually managed to get away from work early enough to be able to have dinner and, and join your sure tonight because was... I've been working so late. But one of the things that occurred to me when you were talking in the beginning, that first section about um, the uncertainty, and I mean, I, I heard a while ago someone talking about it, and it's not even that we, we've never had that certainty. So it's not that we've lost the certainty of what's coming, but we've lost that illusion of having certainty about what exactly. might be happening. Exactly. That's ex- you said it better than I said it, but that's exactly what I was uh, you know, alluding to, the fact is that we, we, all, we want to be batuach. And we, we think sometimes we are. We think we are certain. Oh, I'm, you know what I'm doing tomorrow? I'm doing this. And the honest is like, no, you can plan. You know, by all means plan. You know, this, this idea, I mean, it, it sounds a bit trivial and trite when people say, Bezrat Hashem, you know, with God's help. You know, in Yitz Hashem, if God wills it. So most people don't really mean it when they say it. But, you know, and honestly, that's what it should be. You know, um, so will I see you in Shaun Friday night? Bezrat Hashem. So usually it means I hope so. But what it should mean is, if Hashem wants me to be in Shaun on Friday night, I'll be there. And if Hashem decides other plans, then I won't be there. You know, that's, it's, I'm planning on it, but will I be there? I don't know. I really don't know. And I think that's, I think that's what you, you know, I think yep, you're correct. Exactly. Exactly. All right. Uh, any other questions or comments or anything? See, the, the problem with the cameras off, you know, thanks for help putting your cameras off, is that you never know if people are actually there or just their names are. I had an interesting thing I did today. So I, I was teaching this class and there were uh, tw- 25 kids in the class and they have to put their cameras on. Now, everyone knows that even the cameras on doesn't mean the person's watching or listening because they could be fiddling around the internet and just still looking at the camera, but they're not looking at me, they're looking at me. So I said, I'm going to play games throughout the class. So I'd I'd be talking like this and I'd say, well, so this Rosh Hashanah, Simon says, put your hands on your head. And I'd say it like that, just like that, and just see how many kids like you know, did it. And it was like, like less than a quarter of the class would do it, which meant that three quarters of the class, whatever they were doing, um, wasn't that so we, we can play that little game now watch this it's this guy alright um, if you are there please ah hello Mina there you go let's see who's around there you go Ingrid hello alright so we got ah, Dr. Stern there you go so I'm going to judge favorably that the other five people are not dressed they'll dress immodestly and therefore do not want to put their cameras on lest they embarrass themselves. So I will judge all of them favorably. I will not say that they are elsewhere with their cameras on. But anyway. All right, everybody. I wish you a Lila. T- ah, there you go. Ah, two sexes. There we go. That's fantastic. There you go. Tomorrow night, I have to tell you, I want everyone to, if you are coming to the drosha, I expect to see cameras because uh, it, I, I cannot tell you how lonely an existence it is when you give a sheer to a bunch of names. It is incredibly difficult. So um, hopefully tomorrow night I'll get to see a few more people. But I wish you all a Laila Tov and please God a Shana Tova. Thank you, Rabbi. Thank you.